0: Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, last week, uh, I started just to unpack uh, the theme for the year. One of the things that we love to do is... Uh, we'd just love to hear from the Holy Spirit and talk, get His perspective on what does He have for us for the year and what's an overarching theme for us. And so what we had felt as I unpacked last week was this idea, this theme that the Father was inviting us to come up here. To come up here into to experience His glory, to come up here to experience His perspective. To come up here to live in the purity and the holiness that he has called us to in Jesus Christ and then to come up here into his heart and his love for the world and his heart for missions and to come up here into his calling for us and so that's what we're focusing on last week was part one this is part two if you missed last week I'm gonna recap a little bit but I encourage you to go and watch it the purpose of this theme It's ready to develop our understanding, our awareness and our our response to the glory of God both to the glory of God in terms of who he is, in, you know, in, in his worth and his beauty and his majesty, just for who he is, also for, uh, you know, experiencing the glory of God for all that he's done for us and worshipping him and giving him our thanks and desire. It's, it's then uh, our, an awareness of the glory of God that's within us, because the, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God, even though he resides in heaven, when we said yes to Jesus, he's come and made his home within us personally and within us as a community so experiencing that glory together and then thirdly to which is like the inward journey the upward journey to God the inward journey and then the outward journey to experience God's heart and glory you know his desire for the earth because his promise in Habakkuk 2 14 is that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord just like the waters cover the sea and so last week was the first part of it. Um, so let me, let's let turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to unpack it again uh, today and take the other two points um, out of Isaiah 6. So we're going to read from verse 1 to 9. If you're not familiar with I, where Isaiah is and you have a Bible, it's kind of just in the middle. But we're also going to put it up on the screen. I'm going I'm to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. All right. In the year that King Uzziah died... And the foundation of the thresholds, that's the temple, physical building, the, the foundations of the threshold shook at his, that the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I, this is Isaiah speaking, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to the people. And then really the rest of the book is the message that the, that the Father speaks to his people specifically and then the nations around through Isaiah. And so last week I started with, come up here and experience his glory. And um, what, you know, this, we sort of went through the first four, five, four verses of, of, this, ver- of this chapter uh, to, that God's desire, the Father's heart, is that we would experience and see him in his glory. You know, I made the point last week that we exist. The purpose of our lives is we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for him. This church, we don't gather together. We don't meet in homes during the week or meet here on Sundays or serve in our communities. We don't do that for, the, for our own sake. We do that for him, for his glory for His purpose, to worship Him. And, you know, our, our experience or God's glory isn't just like an ethereal, intangible thing. God's glory is anchored in a couple of realities. The first reality is His goodness. We have a Transformation Weekend. In fact, we have four different Transformation Weekends that we do as part of the life of this church. And the purpose of those weekends, we had one yesterday on the Father's love, is to help each one of us come into a fresh understanding of who God is and what He's done for us and to bring us into a place of transformation. Yesterday, we were talking about the Father and His love and goodness. And and Gordon shared a a wonderful message uh, about uh, from Ezekiel 33, 34, uh, I, you know, when Moses says, show me your glory, what God says is, I'm going to cause, cause all my goodness to pass by you. The Father's glory is his goodness, his kindness, his love, his mercy, the, the, the way that he relates to us, that he keeps his covenant of love with us. His glory and his goodness and his holiness and his purity. So it's anchored into the reality of the our experience of the goodness of God. But it's also anchored into the reality. The glory of God is Jesus. The the Bible says that Jesus is the exact image, the exact representation, the, the photocopy, but with a perfect representation of who the Father is and his glory. So if you want to experience and see what the Father looks like in all of his glory, Jesus is the radiance of that. So we experience him and we experience His glory, and the Father's causing us, calling us, to continue to build Him a house of devotion. That our primary calling, our primary focus, our primary reason for being, first and foremost, is worship. That we experience Him, and we give Him glory, not just with our voices, well that's a wonderful thing, but with giving Him our whole lives. And of course, in Christ, as we talked about last week, we have become the temple of God. And so we experience Him because we have the temple of God, Jesus Christ living on the inside, and we're a dwelling place for Him. And worship is our appropriate response. So we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at worship. But the second thing about come up here with that invitation that the Father gave to Isaiah and gives to us is to come up here into His perspective, And so we looked also last week at Revelation chapter 4, where John has this voice that says, come up here, and he suddenly finds himself up in heaven, and he gets this perspective from God, and he sees that the future is glorious, and he sees that the future is challenging. He sees that that ultimately in the battle between good and evil, good wins, and God reigns through, and we overcome, but we overcome... Through the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, we overcome through not loving our lives unto death. And that the victory, the way to victory is the same way that Jesus won his victory. Through suffering, through challenge, through difficulties, through trial, through setback. But in that place... We come to a place of victory and glory, just like Jesus on the cross. His moment of greatest weakness was the moment of greatest triumph. And so the Father's invitation is to come up here to experience his glory and his perspective. Okay, let's look into the second point, which is to come up here into God's standard of living. God's standard of living. So so when Isaiah has a vision of the Lord, what happens? His first response is to be aware of his utter sinfulness. He's all of a sudden, he says, woe is me, I am lost. I am, because I, 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 my lips are unclean and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. In other words, he experienced the, the, the holiness of God and became aware of his shortcomings and the whole community's shortcomings. And he realizes in that moment that there's something wrong with their identity, His individually and then together, corporately, that he's there's an identity issue. You know, in the in the Hebrew scriptures, there's three words for sin. One of those words means to miss the mark. And what he's saying is, I've missed the mark, because sin is an absence of something. Sin is not achieving the, the fullness of who God's called us to be. Sin is a malfunction. And that malfunction has two different impacts. The malfunction of sin is first that we respond in ways that actually lead us to death. That the wages of sin are death. That that actually if we don't have our sin taken care of, we're going to a, a place where our sin was destined to be, which is an eternal separation from the Father. But not only is there a failure, is there like a response that leads to death, there's also the opportunity cost, to use an accounting term, of sin, which is to say that God has a purpose and a plan for you that he wants to fulfill. And if we miss the mark, we don't get to step into the reality of who he's called us to be. So sin is about becoming less than we could be, failing to know who we are, and failing to act to our full potential and responding in a way that leads to death. And why does Isaiah say, first of all, he says, I'm lost, as identity. Um, you know, he realizes that he's lost, but he, then he says, woe is me because my lips are unclean. Well, why does he talk about lips? Well, because I, you know, Jesus said this, he said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he has this revelation that what comes out of here is based on what's in here. And so if, un, if what comes out here is unclean, it's because our hearts and our lives, our identity as unclean. And so here's the thing, when we experience God, the natural response is meant to be to see the holiness of God, we experience our lack of holiness. But sometimes it doesn't really work that way, does it? In fact, what we could say is that the less weight we give to God and his glory and his holiness, the more we are going to feel blasé and comfortable with our own sin and our own shortcomings, if we think of very little of God and his holiness, we're not going to be fully aware of our sin and our shortcomings. And we're going to live in a place where we can say, well, it doesn't really matter if I, you know, cheat a little bit on my taxes or tell a little bit of a lie to get out of trouble. It doesn't really matter if I'm a bit angry towards my wife or if I'm negative today or if I just, you know, have cuss a little bit on the road or have a bit of road rage. It doesn't really matter because it's not that big a deal. But if we don't understand the seriousness of sin, I don't think we've understood the reality of the holiness of God. And so Isaiah's response when he sees the glory of God is, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm lost. But I love the father's response. You know, he doesn't say okay that's it you're done there's no more hope for you you're cut off you have unclean lips I can't believe I showed you myself what was I thinking I just become aware of your sin you're out of here no God's response the Father's response is to send a seraphim who flies lies to isaiah and he touches his lips and he provides a covering like an atonement a, a covering of isaiah's sin and he touches his lips and he says behold your guilt is been atoned for and all of your sin is gone the father's desire was that he would be clean that he would be set free that he would be able to walk in the fullness of his calling and destiny he gets his lips purified all of his guilt and sin has been taken away and here's what I love about the gospel. The gospel message is this that Jesus was the true burning coal. Jesus is the true burning coal who, who came to the earth responding to Isaiah's message. That same, you know, God's message of who am I sh- should I send? And Jesus comes and Jesus is the one that purifies us and sets us free. And it's a permanent thing. So I want us just to very quickly, keep your fingers in Isaiah 6, we'll be back. But just very quickly turn to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, and it's 6 and 7, there's, whole, there's three chapters which it sort of starts, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And really those three chapters are Jesus laying out his manifesto of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower, what it looks like to be somebody that's wholly devoted to God. And and in verse 17, we're just going to read Matthew 5, 17 to 20. And Jesus says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, which is the first four or five books of the Bible, and particularly you know the, the, the 612 or whatever the exact number is of those commands and laws that God had given Moses to the Israelites. Don't think I've come to abolish those, the law, or the prophets, or the words that God has spoken to Israel and to the nations. Don't think I've come to abolish those. I have come to not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of scary words, right? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. So Jesus is saying, look, you might want some respite. You might want some, you know, might think I've come to d- abolish the law. I haven't come to take away those things. In fact, what I've done is I've come to fulfill them. But now I'm raising the bar. Now I'm raising the standard. And then he goes on and we don't have time to read through the rest of the, the chapter but, and, the, and into the other two chapters, six and seven. But what you'll see if you read into it is that Jesus takes what was in the law at the realm of action and he turns that and he calls that sin and he takes that which is in the realm of action and says actually it's about what you think in your heart and in your mind that becomes sin and so he says things like if you are angry with somebody and you say that you're you fool then you've just murdered them that if you look at a woman lustfully then you have just committed adultery He raises the bar, not just from what we do, but what we think, which is a pretty terrifying thing for me, at least for me. I'm sure you guys don't have any negative thoughts or, you know, sinful thoughts, but maybe it's just me. But he raises the bar. Not only does he say that, don't swear, don't take an oath. He also says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those. He talks about how, you know, if somebody wants to take your cloak, that you give them your tunic. If they want you to walk a mile, force you to walk a mile, walk with them two miles. Bless them, pray for them. It's a, such a high standard that he calls us to, to go the extra mile. And he says, look, you have to have righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. What does that mean? Well, it means that you know, the Pharisees of the day, they were the people that were the, like the, the religious do-gooders. They thought they had it all together. They thought they had it all wrapped up. They knew the law. If you had a problem with interpretation, they would tell you what to do. They were the people that just, you know, they considered themselves better than everyone else because, and most people would have considered them better than everyone else because they knew the law and they practiced the law. And Jesus is saying, by the way, even their standard isn't good enough. If they were standing before me like Isaiah was, they would be saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. They were held up in society as the be-all and end-all, the perfect vision of humanity. But Jesus is saying, your righteousness, to get into the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness has to exceed that. And That's a heavy thing when you think about that and you think about your own life, but for the gospel but for the good news of Jesus but for the reality of what he's done for us. Because as I said, Jesus is the true burning coal. He stepped into our world. He was God in heaven. He was equal with God. He laid that aside. He stepped into our world and he fulfilled the law with all of its requirements. And he fulfilled the prophet, prophetic words, with all of its requirements. He led, led a life of perfect union and unity with God. And his life has now become our life. And his death has covered our sin. And his death has atoned for everything that we've done wrong and his death has taken away separation and his death has brought us into a place where we can come up here and experience and live with him not in our own ability, not in our own righteousness, not in our own efforts which are nothing because we stand before the Lord like Isaiah woe is me, I am lost but we're no longer lost because we've been found in Jesus Christ and he's lifted us up And He's dealing with the issues of our heart. You know, the Pharisees, they were known as legalists and nitpickers. In fact, Jesus said, listen to them, but they don't do anything to help. They point out all of your judgments, all of your faults, all of your issues. They judge you, but they do nothing to help you. Jesus leads us to the truth, but He does everything to help us. It's so wonderful. and It is so glorious. He's the living coal. So with the invitation to come up here into a life of holiness and purity isn't based on our own ability, it's not based on our own strength, it's not based on us toughing it out. It's based on the reality that we are now in Christ Jesus. And His life has become our life. And the ground of our lives, the foundation stone according to Colossians 1 is that God, when we're in Christ Jesus, if we remain in Christ, He sees you and me as holy and spotless, and blameless, and above reproach in His sight. In other words, He's got nothing against you when you remain in Jesus Christ. But to remain in Jesus Christ means to desire a life where we want to grow and become like Him. Because the life of Christ on the inside of us doesn't just let us sit back in our laurels and say, I can live in whatever way I like. No, the fact that Jesus has won himself, given himself for us, means that we now owe him everything. And his desire for us is that we would live in a place of ever-increasing joy and life and freedom and prosperity and holiness and purity, where there's no place. And so Colossians There's no place for sin. Colossians 3 says has this metaphor that we're to put off our old nature with its sinful desires. And we're to put on the new nature, that which is from God. And really what Paul's talking about there is sinking into our identity in Christ. Put off the old, step out of the old where we've been slaves to sin. And sink into the reality of the new life that we have in Jesus. And come into a place of holiness and purity. So we're going to be talking about that over this next year. What does it mean that we're in Christ Jesus? What does it mean to live in the purity and the righteousness of Christ? What does it mean to live in his wisdom in terms of our families, our marriages, our friendships, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, in our thought life? What does that mean? Because the Father's calling us up into this place of his purity, his righteousness, and his glory. And I'm so glad it is not based on our effort or our own ability but it's based on the finished performance and perfect work of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we're now filled with the Holy Spirit. We have become the temple of God. We have the Spirit dwelling on the inside, and it's the Spirit who helps us to say no and put to death the things that we're doing in our bodies that are not godly and we live by the Spirit. So we're going to unpack that, but the invitation is come up into the life that the Father has always dreamed of for you. Come up into the life of Jesus. Come up into his purity and his holiness, and let your life be a reflection of the reality that you have the Son of God and by the Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. Let your life be a life of ever-increasing joy and peace and holiness and purity Because the kingdom of God, we've been brought into, out of the dominion of darkness, into the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing about holiness and purity. It's not just about not doing bad things. In fact, the Pharisees tried not to do bad things and they were totally miserable and grumpy. It's not about just not trying to sin, it's actually about embracing the fullness of the life that the Father has for us. Because if sin is missing the mark, then the the Father's intention is that we hit the bullseye and we step into His life and to His calling and we live in joy and we live in His delight. And we're to come up here, because when we come up here and we live in His standard, in His presence, the Bible says it's fullness of joy. So we live in this place of joy. So we're to come up here and experience His holiness and His perspective. Secondly, we're to come up here and to experience and to live in the purity and the righteousness of His life. The third thing that He's calling us into is His heart and His mission. And so we look in I, I was back in Isaiah six, and in Isaiah six, at the very you know in verse eight and nine, Isaiah. It says he hears the voice of the Lord and the Lord lets him in on his heart. And he says, it's like the Lord saying, I have a mission. Whom shall I send and who will go for me? Go for us you know the father has a mission and a purpose a plan and a desire for us as humanity for us as his church and that desire is that all of humanity would experience him and his love and that the whole earth wouldn't just be filled with the glory of God but that everybody would know and experience the glory of God And so the Father's mission is that that none would perish, that all would come to salvation. That his desire is that we would experience, that that the world would experience him. And his call to us is who is going to go and who can I send? And I'm so glad and I'm so grateful for people in this church family who've taken up that call. I want to, you know, we're just in the, in the sort of towards the end of, of the summer of this Rexdale outreach. And I, I want to just commend and thank every single one of us that has been faithfully serving at the Rexdale outreach every Saturday. Oh. Of just feeding people, witnessing to them, pouring out the love of God, praying for the sick, doing prophetic words, dream interpretation, all of that. Apparently yesterday it was raining cold and they had to hold the tent down. The wind was so strong. Thank you for that. Thank you for giving your lives away. Thank you for answering the call and saying, here I am, send me. You know, to the point where people in the community, as I understand it, are now saying, "Uh, we don't want this to end. How can we have more of you? Because they've experienced the love of the Father. And so thank you to the team, especially the leaders for leading that. But, you know, that call, that call to hit for, you know, who's going to go isn't just for for those special people that have time to go on a Saturday or have the passion to go on a Saturday to do outreach. That call is for all of us to step into and experience the Father's love. And as we experience the Father's love, we see that he loves the world and we step in and we respond to that. Because again, right, living rightly before God isn't just not doing the wrong stuff. It's actually stepping in and doing all that God's called us to. And He has a plan and He has a purpose and He has a dream in each of our hearts. In, each of, in His heart for each of us, I should say. A couple of years ago, um, I was just praying and meditating at the start of, of COVID and, and I felt like the Holy Spirit say to me, the mission as a church and I was like taken aback and then I realized what the Lord was saying to me was somehow sometimes we get our priorities wrong where we've we've expressed well I have a mission God could you bless it but actually what the Father is saying is, I have a mission and I want you to come in line with it. I want you to step into that. I want you to fulfill the mission that I have for you, both individually and corporately together as a church. I want you to step into that mission. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, God it says there, God says, Let us make man in our own image. Then it says, and so he made them, male and female, he created them. God's intention, God's our creator, he's created us for purpose. The next thing he does is he blesses humanity. And the word barak, which means bless in Hebrew, what it actually means is to get down on one knee. And he gets down at eye level and he blesses, serving us as humanity, and he blesses and he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That was God's original mandate for humanity. So then he takes Adam and Eve, he puts them in a garden, he creates a garden, which we know is the Garden of Eden. He creates a garden for them, and then he says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, grow yourselves, but then fill the earth and subdue it. What's he saying? I want the whole earth, to the bit that I've planted, which is Eden, I've planted that, but I want you in your mission with me, in relationship with me, to take that part of Eden and make the whole earth, earth, Eden. Subdue the whole earth and and fill it with people who are full of my image, my image bearers. And of course, we know that Adam and Eve blew that, but God's mandates still remain. And so Jesus, before he goes up to heaven, he says this in Matthew, and it's recorded in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, all authority has been given to me. In other words, he's re-establishing the mandate And he's saying, go, therefore, as you go, make disciples of all the nations, or ethnos actually means people groups, make disciples of all people groups, immersing them or baptizing them in the identity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you to. And then he says, and I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. He's reestablishing that mandate in the spirit realm for us, that we are to take that which is in chaos and and confusion and and utter depravity all around us in sinful nature and expand and multiply and fill the earth from one person to another person, passing on the glory of God and them experiencing who God is and and subduing the realm of the culture and the realm of the enemy and all of those things. His mandate is that we would make disciples of the nations for the purpose that his glory would be known all over the earth and so his call for us is to come up into that heart that heart of love because it's the love of God that motivates us you know and Isaiah's greatest moment of worship was when he said here I am send me his greatest act of obedience his greatest act of worship was to step in and say, "Lord, here I've heard Your voice, and I'm going. Here I am. Send me." And the reality, the reality for each one of us, and I'm and I'm preaching to myself as I am as much as I am to you, is that the Father has a mission and a call, and He's saying, "Here I, will you go? Who will we send to this world that's broken and dying?" Who will we send? And the response that I believe the Father's looking for is to come up here to experience his heart. And as we experience his heart and see that he loves all of humanity is to step out and be sent with his love and his mission and his glory to reach the world around us. Come up here into the Father's heart. Come up here into his purpose. Come up here into his voice. Come up here into his mission. Not just... As a one off, but as living your life in the fullness of who God's called you and I to be. So that's the invitation. That's where we're going over this next few, this next 12 or so months, is to experience God. That the Lord, that the Father would meet us with his glory and then send us with his glory. What does that mean, carrying His glory? Well, His glory is His goodness, so we're going with His goodness and His love. We're going with the anointing of the Spirit for signs and wonders and miracles. We're going with the love of God on the inside to lay our lives down for our friends, our neighbors, our enemies. We're going with the power of heaven and you know the father's desire isn't just that a few people would be saved, it's the father's desire our, our, you know that he's put in us, obviously is for revival, that the city that you know people would come to know him, but the purpose, the end, end goal, the ultimate aim, is for the transformation of people's lives and transformation of our city and our cities. and that's what we're believing for, right we're believing. For salvation, and we're believing for transformation. As we come up here and we experience God, we want Toronto to live up to it's Toron- Toronto the good. That's so what we're believing God for. But what it takes is surrender. What it takes is uh, our laying down our lives for the glory and the greatness of God. What it takes is transformation of our hearts so that we live in joy rather than anger. What it takes is to hear his voice and be caught up in his mission and run with him. We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. To watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.